Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. story about a beer rooted in the heart of America, found in a community where a handshake is a sure contract, brewed for those who found opportunity in challenge and hope in tomorrow, raised by generations willing to sip Share, risk, remember. This is a story bigger than beer. This is the story of the American spirit. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 18th of April, year of our Lord, 2023. Oh, that's a good opening. That's just a good opening. Come on, man. A little insurrection in New York City. Media ignore it, but, you know, we have insurrections everywhere now. The left can insurrect. It's you, you can't. And Budweiser. I played the whole thing because, uh, yeah, it's not going to work. Bud Light sucks anyway, but. Today's show, we're going to go through a few things up front, do our laugh at the left, trans fascism, and this is America. I'm wearing this stupid camera shit, so I look like an idiot, but I got to wear this shit, and there's a camera in me circling around the drain, so bear with it for a while. So up front, I want to do a couple uh, articles before we get into it, um, probably should have been an idea to grab my slides before I started, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I'm coming into this late. We're doing live. Okay. So on our leaker, not going to cover it much today. This is the New York times. The New York Times worked feverishly to find the identity of that guy leaked TS docs on discord. Ironically, it's the same guy had leaked to the New York times to be working feverishly to conceal it. It says everything. But they pretty much did conceal it. It wasn't, wow, 
we're lying to the whole world. Like, really bad. No. It's how do we stop people from getting this stuff? Because our media is about protecting the left. This broke this week. Planned Parenthood and Rachel Levine partnered up to peddle cross-sex hormones. So even though he doesn't really want to, you know, look like a woman, I guess he cares about other people. And then, you know, uh, a lot of this, a lot of anti-religion going on. We're going to start with Veshi saying Christian Sharia. I just stop. I think what drives me so crazy, and I keep wanting to talk about what the right is doing and posing their religions, they ap- accuse us Muslims of wanting to do this forever. And we're like, you wrote right. that. You wrote that the other day, and you said it on my show. And I was like, that's exactly true. We never wanted to impose our They were projecting, so they're like, yes. and it resulted in past laws. We wars about this. Right, they, they passed anti-Sharia legislation in yeah. states. There's no Sharia. There's no Sharia in America at all. And, but they were, they were always plotting this. Yeah. They're always about projection, and now they're doing it. So yeah. the fact that they yeah. cause, you know, hate directed against our community, I think I take it more personally. So it's Sharia, right? If you're a, if you believe again, that, that you don't you don't want people to have abortion rights, but you live in America, which constitutionally says that you can't impose a state religious belief on everybody else, but you do it, that's actually Sharia. That's yeah. actually what everybody else is complaining about. What Sharia is? You've taken the good book and you have made that the law book. Something that Muslims never did in America or couldn't do in America if they wanted to. That's the wild part about this whole thing. That's what this is. This is Christian Sharia. Sharia. That's why our theme is they just make it up. They just make it up. It's all they do. Here is another example of making it up. This is CBS with some deviously, yeah, the, I don't know where you get these stats, but it's anti-gun, so we just make it up. All right, for folks at home, if it seems like you're thinking you can't get through a day without one of us here reporting on yet another mass shooting, well, you are on to something because that is the reality here in this country. There have been 162 mass shootings in the U.S. so far this year alone, according to the Gun Violence Archive. And our kids are noticing. How could they not? According to the latest CBS News poll, gun violence is a top worry among kids. Six in ten, in fact, say it's a major concern, something on their minds. And it's on the very same list as you find more common teenage concerns like bullying and academic performance. Now, how to deal with it? Well, more than 60% of Americans are in favor of an outright ban on AR-15 semi-automatic rifles. That's the type of gun used in school shootings in Nashville and Uvalde and so many other places. The ideological differences, however, remain stark. Most self-identified liberals, for example, think the U.S. would be safer if fewer to even no people own guns. While four in 10 conservatives think the U.S. would be safer if more people, even everyone, had guns. And so there we are. Overall, Americans have grown increasingly frustrated over a partisan gun control debate. And many believe that neither political party is doing It's funny. You know, I, I bitch about it a lot on here. But the stat, the way they do stats. Come on, man. Come on, man. And then we got this because the media was like 
really stoked and trying to sell the lie that in Ireland, Joe Biden is like motherfucking William Wallace and shit. So I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I got some black and tans. Uh, That is actually the British. But, you know, our president said it all wrong. And here is a little Irish song. Okay. A little bit more down. There we go. It's in the background. This is state-run media, the Washington Post. Matt Vischer. Pager and Vischer must have weak knees in crafting the headlines and subhead. Biden, the American president, seems awfully at home in Ireland. Biden this week has repeatedly wondered how anyone could leave the Emerald Isle. President Biden stood in a lavish, decorated room at the Irish president's residence on Thursday, declaring just how comfortable he feels during his visits to his ancestral homeland. Gushing over how Biden wished he could stay in his incredible place, all you American reporters, they proclaim that sentiment pervades a day of ceremony here at Biden met with Irish political leaders addressed the Irish Parliament and engaged in Irish sports, which turned out to carry more risks than his speeches. The motherfucker doesn't know the, the difference between the English army and the Irish army. But we're supposed to say Ireland loves him with the drop, drop dead Murphys or drop kick or whoever those fucking idiots are. It is always that way. When you go back to the simple fact that Obama's German speech was so people could see a fucking concert. Yeah. This is is what we got. So, before we get into our top six, it is time for our new feature, six to nine round burst. It's a military adage for how you fire a machine gun, but this means I can talk for six to nine minutes about the military. I command Satmo, and so I've, uh, so I blackbirded at the Army Marksmanship Unit as a second lieutenant coming out of IOBC. Growing up, I understood the value of marksmanship as a hunter and a competitive shooter in college and in the Army. I've never been satisfied kind of with the average level of marksmanship and throughout my career I've, all, I've competed on, on my own, um, earned the President's Hunter tab on my own with my own training, um, but when I, I had the opportunity to command SATMO, which is a worldwide training organization, we're called upon to go out there and represent allies and partners and, and taking the unit to the next level of lethality and expertise, you know, to basically take all of these lessons learned back to uh, SATMO and then export those out to allies and partners is, is why I bring the teams here. Well, I attended All Army, All Army for the first time last year. I've been growing up shooting my whole life with my dad. Um, it's a great opportunity to continue my marksmanship from just in the Army and come here take whatever lessons I can learn here and apply that to become the best soldier I can be. Get a little teary-eyed. No, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, he was born when I was a uh, uh, captain in the Special Forces Q course. 
Um, and now here I am serving in the same army uh, with my son. And you know he had the opportunity, uh, you know, to get get leave and take you know admin absence to come here and join us uh, while we're training. So it's just a fantastic opportunity to shoot side by side. Yeah. The biggest takeaway for me is the importance of getting, um, I would say, the junior officers um, and kind of the mid-grade NCOs out here. Um, you know, the the value of this training is phenomenal, and and getting that to spread back out to the force. You know, so for example, you know, I've got a bunch of my E7s and E8s here. Um, you know, I've seen some lieutenants and captains out there, and, and if they take that back out as leaders to the force and kind of use some of these, you know, training uh, uh, evolutions with the regular army, I think that just takes the force to the next level. I'd say that this is a great opportunity for someone to come here and enhance a basic soldier skill that everyone should be uh, working on at all times. And it's, it's a great way to learn from the experts in this field and continue that skill. Um, at a basic level, and as a you know, as a private in an infantry battalion, my number one task. This is the Army's competition, and you know it's not maxed out this year. Now, at some point, I would hope that you know there's at the divisions and the corps that you know there's competition there. Uh, you know, to be fighting, you know, for slots to send teams. You know, for example, we're sending our first team from our unit to Best Ranger, and, you know, there's a fight to see, you know, which units get slots uh, for Best Ranger. I would just hope to see that, you know, in the future that this is spread across the Army to the divisions and the corps, um, and, and, you know, that there's there's competition among the units to send, send teams here, um, you know, and that, that we just kind of broaden this out uh, across the Army. Mastering the weapon is mastering the weapon and the fundamentals of marksmanship are the fundamentals of marksmanship. And this is advanced training um, where you're getting, you know, relatively instant feedback, you know, on your groups, etc. You know, just like, you know, every, everybody in the combat arms understands that ranger school puts you under simulated stress, you know, to test how you would function, you know, in, in a simulated combat condition. The stress of competition is the same. You're out here amongst a bunch of people, you're putting stress on yourself, there's a time stress, there's a time clock, et cetera. That puts you under a stress, you know, that simulates, you know, addition, you know, it's another way to simulate the combat conditions. You're in your combat kit, uh, just because it's a flat range, you know, it doesn't look like you're in the mud or whatever, um, you know, does not mean you're testing the combat skills uh, necessary. And really, I guess the biggest takeaway is that the courses of fire here are far All obstacles are here are designed to force them to think collectively and execute. They have to negotiate this course as a team. At this point, they're, they're learning that teamwork is very important. We're from different backgrounds, cultures. One person's idea is not more important than the other person's idea. And collectively, there's so much you can achieve from putting all your thoughts together. That's what drives a mission that leads to mission success. Love that father-son shooting team. That's pretty fucking cool. And you know, the Army is just missing on the campaigns. I, I just don't, that, no, moving together. What does that even fucking mean? Soldiers are away more now than ever, despite 
no major deployments. That's an insane statistic, and it's true because with the new European theater being a fucking assignment, guys are getting picked up and booted away from their family. And, man, that's just, that's bad juju. That's 100% bad juju. Um, I, I don't, I don't know why we're allowing that to happen. New basic needs allowance could become tax-free, and it shows Biden's economy that so many people need it. The Army must reward smart leaders, not just strong ones, if we want to win the next war. This is an op-ed that's basically uh, just fucking flowing with wokeness, and I'm not going to read it because it just hurts my fucking pancreas every fucking time I read these goddamn articles. Um, Ooh, I'm going to save this for next. This is uh, some good pictures I forgot to grab, so we'll do it later. Firewatch, the heroic stories of USO Service Members of the Year. Um, Not going to go in depth on this. Look it up. It's pretty interesting um, how they all got selected um, for it. Airmen charged a Pentagon intel leak regretted joining the military. And he talked to God. And he was a bastard. I mean, we have... There, there was a murder case this week. And um, the media literally went with fucking he said racist things online but they didn't actually show what the racist things were. Pay troops at least 15 per hour. A GOP lawmaker wants to raise the military minimum wage. Okay, that's a really neat sentiment, but you work 24 hours a day, so there's no way you could do that. I mean, it's a neat sentiment, but it just the guy doesn't know shit about the military. What and how much you eat matters before special op selection. Large article on that. It's the first time I've ever seen it, so that's why I covered it. DARPA combat drone buggy completes its first round of tests. I'm going to grab this really quick. Of course. It's, it's a fucking web file. But, um... A, I don't know why we have this. Um... <clears throat> I, I don't know why we have... Why do you need a, a, a drone buggy? Maybe to resupply, you know? I'm sure my old first sergeant in Operation Anaconda wished he had a drone buggy instead of driving by himself and a, <clears throat> a specialist to uh, deliver MREs. Probably that sucked. I'm sure it did just a little bit. Um, but I, I don't know. That's just seems a little fucking over the top, but you know, U S raid in Syria kills ISIS leader. We're doing a lot of this lately. We sure the hell don't hear about it a lot, which doesn't surprise me. And then we're going to close and I'll be in, I'll be over six minutes. Sorry. With the videos. This is Keanu Reeves Reeves fucking shit up on a range. And I gotta admit, I was pretty impressed. And bye.
Which leads us into our top six. And we're going to start with this no-brainer, but we spent years saying one thing, and now all of a sudden experts are on board with masks give you headaches and don't work. Ooh, great. And our first three are... uh, this resurfacing of my one of my favorite clips about how Twitter's changing hands could throttle down in certain politicians. ABC guests, Lexer's GOP, are not telling people what to do. She literally said that. And then a soundbite of a New York Times guy. We got a lot of New York Times today. Talking about how this Dominion case against Fox is really going to hurt their brand. They might have to apologize and understand David French says it's not an anti-free speech thing. The reason why I don't cover it a lot is not because I'm a homer for fucking Fox. I first heard that Dominion could be fucked up from the left who had hearings about how voting machines could be hacked and how they weren't safe. But then they figured out how to hack them and make them safe for them. And they got 81 million votes. Ba-bum-boom. Thank you. So here's our first three of our top six. Hypocrisy. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees. Or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. I think the most important political priority for any political party is to not be the people telling people what to do. For the last five years, we've heard from Republicans, especially even during COVID, about how freedom was going to reign and that they were just going to let people make decisions for themselves. They want to be the cool mom of politics. Well, that era has ended. And I think that there is a specific type of libertarianism that is very popular in America unlike the Libertarian Party. But there's a specific type of don't tell me what to do. Let me make my decisions. Let me make my decisions for my family that is very politically profitable. And I think that if Democrats are able to say that we are the party that says you can make these decisions, you can make decisions for your family, your family can make decisions for themselves, I think that that will be politically profitable. And I think that for Republicans, it's going to be challenging to try to sound simultaneously like cool mom and the moral majority that so many of us grew up with. Well, well, the Democratic Party is all for that on abortion, but they are against it when it comes to public education. When it comes to public education, people shouldn't be able to make their own decisions. You shouldn't be able to have the ability to go to have your child go to a parochial school if you can't afford it, or to go to a charter school if they're not available in your town, or to be able to decide what your children should be able to learn about sexuality uh, and at what age they should learn that. So the Democrats are going to have a hard time making that case when you look at the public education and what their position is, which is us and the teachers unions know what to tell you. The fact that this case hasn't been settled already, Nick, has been surprising to a lot of people who have been watching. They just assume that Fox would want to get this out of their hair. But as I understand it from the reporting that's out there, it's not Fox who hasn't been trying to settle. It's Dominion who's been saying no, or Dominion's been asking for things that Fox won't acquiesce to. 
Look, the hard part here is what are the pain points and necessary parts of a settlement? And one thing that Dominion is very clear on is they want an apology. Now ask yourself how that would look on Fox, right? What this case is about is Fox hosts and guests lying about the results of the 2020 elections and their implications. There are still Fox hosts on the air right now who lie about the implications of the elections and cast January 6th as a noble insurrection against an, you know, a wrong loss. Uh, so how can they apologize for something that they're still doing hmm. and which is essential to their business model, which is to keep happy the audience that believes that Trump won in 2020? So Dominion wants to go to trial from, as we understand it, they want to um, uh, argue this case in court. Jury selection begins tomorrow. How is it going to go? Who's going to be called to the stand? What's this case going to be look, going to look like? Look, you know, the top Fox executives, the Murdochs could be on the stand. The host would be on the stand, Tucker Carlson, uh, Sean Hannity, um, and all the, the laundry that we saw, right, in those texts. A lot of texts. We will see even more of that kind of content if it goes to trial. That's the incentive for Fox to pull back and settle. What's the incentive for Dominion? Their business has been wrecked by this, arguably, and they want an apology and a lot of money. It's still a billion dollars, even if Fox is right about the claims. Fox is arguing it's First Amendment and that any sort of infringement on their First Amendment rights is, is a problem for not just Fox, but for everybody. Look, I think, you know, we should all be cognizant of the dangers of prosecuting a news organization, including journalists, right? Uh, but what we have here is a pattern, a known pattern, of repeatedly lying about the same thing over and over again, not once, not twice, not ten times, dozens and dozens of times documented in the record. And I think the judge has basically said you can't use that defense that this is the First Amendment in, in this court. The case is now about if Fox did what it did out of malice or recklessly. Do you have any idea um, on what Fox is bracing for? You're talking about, you know, the difficulty in, in not being able to apologize for something that they're still doing. But if they lose this lawsuit and lose damages and who knows how much money will ultimately be, they could also potentially be... Couldn't there be some sort of um, consequence where they have to issue that apology regardless of um, their refusal to do so, maybe during settlement talks? If they go to trial yeah. and lose, it's possible that, yes, a court could order an apology or a settlement yeah. could include some kind of apology. I think that'll be a hard thing for Fox to swallow. They, have to, they, they would presumably have to go on the air and have their primetime host who peddled these lies say, you know, you know, I lied to you. I was wrong. I knew it was wrong. I'm sorry. It's hard to imagine that it would be catastrophic for the network, for any network. And I think that's part of why there's this resistance. The next one is one of my favorites because it keeps on, it's a gift that keeps on keeping, giving. I mean, it's Pete Budelich. Roads are fucking racist, you goddamn Nazi. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities. Black and brown Americans, tribal citizens, and rural residents 
much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, the, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design that's got crosswalks and good lighting? Who doesn't have that access? That can drive disparities. And we have a, a responsibility to act on that. The next one is just a work of fucking art. Scientists say the contribution of rice to climate change cannot be ignored. Rice is to blame for about 10% of global emissions of methane, a gas that over two decades traps about 80 times as much heat as carbon dioxide. Scientists say that if the world wants to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, rice cannot be ignored. I just want us to just marinate in that. Before I play the soundbite, just marinate in what they just fucking said. Rice. Rice. That has been around for fucking ever. For fucking ever. That's why I'm calling the section Laugh at the Left. Jesus Christ, get the fuck out of here. What accounts for 10% of global emissions of methane? It's not belching cows or landfills, but rice. Scientists say if the world wants to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the staple crop cannot be ignored. Farmer Dong Van Khan has joined a scheme to recycle straw from his fields instead of burning it. Methane is generated by bacteria that grow in flooded rice paddies and thrive if the leftover straw rots. Over time, methane traps about 80 times as much heat as carbon dioxide. So rice, um, which sets them apart from other crops, has a standing water layer in the field, which means there's no exchange of air between the soil and the atmosphere. So that means you have in the soil anaerobic conditions, and that means there are different bacteria active in the soil than you would find in wheat or maize. As part of an initiative by the International Rice Research Institute, Khan now removes the straw from his fields and turns it into other products, earning a small income on the side. Under the Global Methane Pledge, Vietnam and several other major rice producers in Asia have vowed to cut emissions by 30% between 2020 and 2030. But the two largest producers, China and India, failed to sign. And while Mekong farmers like Khan have taken a step towards more sustainable farming, for now he is part of a small minority. The next segment is just getting repetitive beyond anything I ever really expected. Um, Kim Iverson, 
For anyone who supports a six-week abortion ban, I hope your teenager either gets pregnant or gets someone pregnant. I genuinely wish this, and don't even try to claim I'm wishing bad things to happen to you. It is completely illogical to think that your teenager getting pregnant is a bad thing while in the same breath making termination illegal. Can you not see this? If your teens getting pregnant is so bad and I'm such a bad person for wishing on you, why force it on others? Well, you know, once again, I keep on stagnating over the same fucking lines. We ran a whole election on birth control. A Ivy League student woman was being forced to pay for birth control. So then Obama made birth control and oh by the way the morning after pill legal. Train your kid to fucking not be a whore. I'll do the Rush Limbaugh. Use birth control. I tried to force my daughter. She wouldn't do it. Then she got pregnant. Hmm. She showed me. But here's Chuck Todd. They're going to offend the center. This is a segment every week on his show. Capehart, Declaration of Independence, rings hollow amid pro-life laws. Did he really say that? Jesus Christ. MSNBC, abortion restrictions, a war, and a death sentence. Then we have CNN morning talking about gerrymandering. I threw it in there for shits and grins because they gerrymander everything. And then in line with the abortion, MSNBC accuses the GOP of restricting voting, returning to pre-1960s. Somehow, they don't actually prove it. But once again, the theme is to just make it up. Talking to some Republicans this week behind the scenes, Chuck, I'm not sure what you're hearing, saying we have a problem politically yeah. on this issue of abortion. Some of them are saying it very publicly. Chris Sununu basically said, and I thought he put it pretty uh, in some pretty interesting stark terms, he said, whatever you think of the Roe v. Wade decision, it was a 50-year precedent. Whatever you think of medicated abortion and mifepristone, this was a 20-year precedent. And he said, right now, the Republican Party looks like it wants to sort of pull the rug out and throw all this change. And that is, you know, whenever a party looks like it is upsetting the status quo in a in a quick way or in a radical way and not in an incremental way, there's almost always a backlash from the center and from the middle. And that's what you're seeing here. And I think you, you talk to any of the Republicans who come from swing states who have ever had a win re-election with an independent voter, and they see this abortion debate right now as a total we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence certainly rings hollow today as the Republican Party continues to push legislation that's not only wildly unpopular and dangerous, but also strips these unalienable rights from Americans. Friday, the Supreme Court ordered continued access to Mifepristone until the court can make a final decision on Wednesday. Polling shows that a majority of Americans, 64%, believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And we'll get into that later. The Supreme Court's say of the Texas ruling is a good thing, but how confident are you that the high court 
will keep the stay in place when it meets on Wednesday? Well, look, I mean, I think it's clear to most Americans, right, that the FDA determines what is safe and effective, not judges. One can only hope that the Supreme Court saw the amicus briefs, the letters uh, that have come in, uh, the ones from over 500 pharma executives who are deeply concerned that uh, kind of political uh, partisan wrangling around the FDA could disrupt, um, you know, its ability to determine what's safe and effective for Americans. Um, but, you know, confidence is unclear, right? I mean, we have a court that uh, overturned 50 years of precedent uh, last summer, so we have to be deeply concerned uh, for the patients who, you know, I spoke to one colleague yesterday who said she had an, a patient ready for uh, coming in at 9 a.m. and worried that the Supreme Court decision wouldn't come down until well after midnight and the ability to uh, get to the patients that were coming in. That's the kind of disruption that we are seeing because of what we have going on here is all eyes are on the Supreme Court, who is looking at one of the most, um, you know, anticipated abortion-related cases since the overturning of Roe v. Wade in June, Katie. And, you know, Chloe, we kind of predicted, right, that this war on women was going to keep on forward, and obviously the next battle is the abortion pill. And later, one woman says being pregnant in Florida is like a death sentence. How the state's abortion rollbacks are putting women's lives... Well, I think that's one of the reasons, Sher Michael, that they are seeing the youth vote and they are showing that youth votes are turning up at the voting booth. So they're trying to create now these draconian laws, bringing back it to the pre-1960s, removing access to the voting booth. Jennifer, what kind of strategy does that send to the American people as a whole that I'm not going to compete with you on policy and ideas, but I'm going to restrict your voting access instead? Well, I think that's a loser strategy. That's confession that the only way we can win is by creating an electorate that is 20 years in the past. Um, their electorate that they think they can win with is a 1970s or 80s electorate, but we're in 2023. So if the representative sample of Americans vote, they're cooked. Um, and that's why you see this intensive effort to restrict voting, to make voting more difficult. Now, the irony of all this is it impairs Republican voting just as much as it does Democratic voting. And you now see some very uh, anxious De uh, Republicans, rather, um, who say, listen, this uh, you know complete uh, war we've gone to with mail-in ballots, with pre-election uh, day voting, has been disastrous for us. Um, we're losing this. So when they try to do these stunts, when they try to artificially create an electorate that's more in tune with their views, um, I'm not sure that it even works. You know, it's malicious. It's anti-democratic. Uh, it's wrong, but it doesn't necessarily even ignore to their benefit. So I think they're floundering around trying to find some strategy. And the right strategy, of course, is to get where the American people are. Um, when you have 65% of the American people on a position in a country as polarized as us, it's not just progressive Democrats who are pro-choice, that's independents, that's Republicans. Um, so I think they have a serious issue problem. And that's why you see them trying to change the subject to Hunter Biden, to phony scandals, to um, every sort of uh, cultural issue they can dream up, because if they have to talk about the issues... Jones and fellow Democratic lawmaker Justin Pearson were removed from their seats last week 
in the state legislature by the Republican majority for participating in a gun reform protest in the House chamber accused of breaking decorum. Let's step back. How did we get here in the first place? Our next guest says it's emblematic of what's happening in a lot of state houses across the country. Joining us now, David Pepper, the author of Laboratories of Autocracy, a wake-up call from behind the lines, also the former chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party. David, it's good to be with you. I think... You know, I've loved your book for, I don't know, it's been out for a year and a half, two years. But I think what's happened in Tennessee shines a light on what you write. The reason you wrote this book is, wake up, America. You're not paying attention to what's happening in states. You're talking too much and focusing on D.C. What do you make of Tennessee? Big picture. Yeah, it's, ab yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, the front line of the attack on democracy in this country are the state houses, like Tennessee's, like Ohio's, like Florida's, for a lot of reasons. Uh, no one's paying attention. M most people have no idea who these state reps are. They're gerrymandered to a hilt, so there's almost no choice or democracy in these places. You know, for example, the, the Tennessee Republican majority that voted those two out last week, more than half of them didn't even face a contested election last November. Uh, they, they ignore laws in Ohio. They violate the Constitution to gerrymander their own districts. If we saw in another country all the things that these state houses were doing here, we would literally say you're losing your democracy. But because it happens here, we really don't pay attention to it. Uh, we also get really blinded by Washington. You know, mm -hmm. there are hundreds of people just like Marjorie Taylor Greene in office in these state houses. But they're not just on Twitter. They're not just talking like she and George Santos are. They're actually passing laws every week attacking democracy. So we really have to focus on these state houses, bring some light to them, and more importantly than that, bring some accountability to all these people who are behaving in ways that should counter democracy in its most basic sense. You, you make a very good point when you talk about what happens often happens in silos and it doesn't get the media attention as what's they really like killing them fucking babies. They're down with that shit. Washington Post, some Democrats worry crackdown will hurt the party because, yeah, well, you guys, that's all you get is freaky kids. This is from the New York Times. I read this online before I saw the article. My 95, my 94-year-old grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer. I make a point of visiting her every month or two. Am I obliged to continue to visit my grandmother even after she ceases to remember me? That's what we're dealing with. This, 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 this is what we're dealing with. This, these are the type of people, the morals. No wonder we're getting our asses kicked. And keeping with it, they make it up. You've heard this on every conservative podcast. How a campaign against transgender rights mobilized conservatives. This is the literally the New York Times lying that we made Republicans needed something. So they made this transgender bullshit their fight. And I think, sorry, that was hurting my ass. My right leg's falling asleep. Um, I think Shapiro covers it the best, and, and he's 100% right. Um, they do things. His analogy, if you don't listen to Shapiro, is the face tattoo. And I, I've had this happen to me, where you look at some fucking cheesy-ass fucking uh, barista and Dabarista is sitting there 
with this fucked up tattoo on their fucking face, and then you look at it, and they go, what are you looking at? Well, they put it there. But this is the trans issue. We're going to trans your kids. And I'm jumping ahead. That's a bill. It passed. You don't transition your kid. The state takes your kid away. That's how far they're going. But not the New York Times. It's you conservatives. You lost the gay marriage, and so you had to pick up a new thing to get donors. No, this is not donors. I don't donate. Most of us don't donate. We're just done with your morals. And I'm going to do a totally different trans abuse today. It's not going to be the usual crazy-ass fucking videos. This is mainline. You're going to see a prep ad with men kissing. Now, do I have a problem with that? No, I'm not homophobic. It's just that's how far they'll go now. Used to be we just talked about it. Now we're shoving it in your face. SNL, which hasn't been funny forever, might have seen the skit with the wish she was like Chris Farley and wanted laughter, not clapped her going off about it and then a CNN special with Eva Longoria where she has a two-spirit fruit loop and this is just mainstream this commercial I saw it in the middle of the day in the middle of the day on NBC I was watching SNL a rerun well I guess it was in the middle of the day it was in the evening because I was watching it DVR'd. And they played this. So, no, we're not looking for a fight. You just keep pushing it out there because you need the response to fire up your base. I am Eloise. I am six. I'm a city child. I live at the Plaza Hotel, which is huge and wonderful and trace elegant, especially at Christmas time. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. Fam- Every death is a tragedy, y'all. Seven lives. Bring on another way to help protect from HIV. I prep without pills. Bring on Apertude, long-acting protection from HIV. Apertude is a prescription medicine used to reduce the risk of HIV without daily PrEP pills. Bring on not worrying about daily doses. I PrEP without pills. Apertude is the first and only long-acting PrEP with one shot every other month, just six times a year. Apertude was proven superior to a daily PrEP pill in reducing the risk of HIV in head-to-head studies and was among the most diverse PrEP studies ever conducted. You must be HIV negative to receive Apertude and get tested before each injection. If you think you were exposed to HIV or have flu-like symptoms, tell your doctor right away. Apertude does not prevent other sexually transmitted infections. Practice safer sex to reduce your risk. Don't take Apertude if you are allergic to it or taking certain medicines as they may interact. Tell your doctor if you've had liver problems or mental health concerns. If you have a rash or other allergic reactions, stop Apertude and get medical help right away. 
Serious side effects include allergic reactions, liver problems, and depression. Some of the most common side effects include injection site reactions and headache. You must receive Apertude as scheduled. Bring on a different way to help me stay continuously protected from HIV. Ask your doctor about long-acting Apertude today. And prep without... ...for far too long, and I'm starting to feel like a frickin' Republican lawmaker. Hello! <laughs> That's an awesome transition. So, as of this week, <laughs> there are now over 14 states that have passed bills restricting health care for trans kids. Listen to that, Michael. Yeah. Restricting health care for kids. For some reason, there's something about the word trans that makes people forget the word kids. If you don't care about trans kids' lives, it means you don't care about frickin' kids' lives. Wow, wow. <laughs> I can, uh... I can tell you're really upset about that. I am! And also, my legs are going numb and I might pass out! Oh, Molly, how long were you hanging up there? Longer than I would have liked. Uh, I tried to call down, but no one could hear me. You know, at one point, I heard a crew guy say, is she gonna die up there? And then another guy was like, you mean, are they going to die up there? <laughs> and then they both walked away and didn't help. <laughs> Which feels a lot like how trans people are being treated right now. But don't worry, we have a code word for emergencies, and it was trans rights. Oh my gosh! Good golly! Uh, that was the code for confetti! My bad, bud. That was so loud. Well, yeah, people need to wake up. We are making trans kids grow up too fast. We should be keeping them safe, and we need to lift them up. Oh, not, not me, them. <laughs> I mean the kids. <laughs> Jay, they got my pronouns right. Let's go. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Before I go, I want to talk to you. What's happening, kids, is wrong, and you don't need to be scared. Our job is to protect you, and your job is to focus on being a kid. It's kind of like me flying in the SNL sky. There's a bunch of dudes asking you about your crotch and controlling when and where you're allowed to be. But if you just hang on, you'll look up and realize, you're flying, kid! <laughs> These days, the proud guardians of Zapotecan cuisine are the extraordinary mushes. And I'm lucky enough to be invited to lunch. Hola. From a young age, mushes identify as a third gender, often displaying feminine attributes and wearing feminine clothes. If the food is as fabulous as the outfits, the eating is going to be good. In Istmo, la comida es diferente que Oaxaca, el central de Oaxaca. Sí, tenemos también comida exótica, como es el armadillo, iguana. Paloma de Monte. Oh my God. Este, que no vamos a comer armadillo. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> ¿Y qué estamos haciendo? Relleno de cerdo. Este es un platillo muy importante para nuestra región porque se usa para las festividades grandes. Ahora nos vamos a preparar el puré. Ok. Y los mushes solo sí. en esta parte de México. Sí, somos personas de dos espíritus. 
Somos la dualidad, ni hombre ni mujer. Okay. No eres menos ni más. Sí. Historically, Mushes adopted traditionally female roles within the family, becoming caregivers, needleworkers, and most importantly, cooks. Was any of that necessary? I mean, seriously, was any of that fucking remotely necessary? No. No. Simple fact of the matter is that prep, that prep medicine they've given has created more AIDS patients than they had before. So it hasn't done anything good. Then we're going to get to individual cases of fuckitude as I like to call it. Robbie Starbucks this week in Bahrain, the Navy told sailors that they talked to their children at age 12 about gender identity, sex, STD, pregnancy, etc. without notifying the parents. This one's a little long. Besides that PHQ-9 at 12 years old, we're also doing a HEADS interview. HEADS is an interview, it's an uh, acronym, H-E-A-D-S-S-S. We go into the three S's. One of them is safety, and that's as simple as, oh, are you wearing your bike helmet when you ride your skateboard or ride your bike? Do you wear your seatbelt? You're welcome, safety. (laughs) But then the next S goes into suicide, and I am asking, that question. Do you have thoughts of hurting or killing yourself? And the last S is a subject that no parent wants to talk to their kid about. Sex. But it's happening. You don't want to know about it, but it's happening. Even here in Bahrain. But this generation is definitely more open with experiencing and, uh, and experimenting. And so I ask those tough questions. Do you identify as a male, female, non-binary? You, if you had a crush on someone, is it a male or a female? Do you have a significant other? And yes, I'm asking them if they are having sex. (laughs) At 12 years old, 12 years old, not the clinic policy, not AOR policy. It is Big Navy, Bumed, DHA. At 12 years old, parents cannot look at their children's medical records online. Yep. At 15 or 16, because it depends on state law, but that is on average, that's the most, the biggest time, it's 15 or 16 years old. There are four things a child can come into clinic without and schedule their own appointment and we don't have to tell their parents. Mental health, so anxiety, depression. I do have, I'm a mandatory reporter, so I do have to tell parents about any thoughts or plans to kill someone else and themselves. But just regular anxiety, depression, I can see them without telling their parents. It's gonna hurt some people. Birth control birth control, we can have those conversations with the kids. How important is it that you have that open rapport with your kids so you can talk to them before they're coming to their PCM? 
What goes along with that? Pregnancy tests. 15, 16 years old, they can come in for a pregnancy test and we do not have to alert their family. And lastly, sexually transmitted infections. When did this policy of preventing parents from being able to access their minor children's medical records start? I'm not sure of when it happened online. So the question was, when did it start on uh, not allowing uh, parents to see minor children's medical records? I'm not sure. I've been a practicing provider for six years, and that's as far as I've known that it's been the case that you're not allowed to see once you're 12 years old. You can come into clinic and you can request those records, but you can't get it online. So it's just only online? So if a parent wants to come in and find out what's going on with their children's quote-unquote care, mm -hmm. they have full access to those medical records and the providers can't hide any of that or keep these conversations secret from the parents. If they come in. And I would also, I would definitely recommend. So when they come in for any of these concerns and their parents don't know, I encourage them. I build that rapport and I encourage them to talk to their parents. Because then, think about it. If they <clears> have that trust that provider, and then you're coming in and getting their medical records, you're breaking that trust. You're not building that trust with that child. So the only issue I have with that, they're a minor child. They're not of consenting age, correct? Mm -hmm. So if we're sitting there, I, I'm, they I can, can, they can hear so I don't understand how, like, because I, I have a 17-year-old and almost 12-year-old, and I've been never been notified of this policy until I just heard about it the other day. And personally, I think it's absolutely abhorrent that medical professionals will keep that kind of information from parents, especially if there's like, you know, some kind of pregnancy or especially some kind of STI or anything like that. And especially when it comes to gender, there's so many things that are poisoning our kids' minds on social media when it comes to this gender ideology. And then medical professionals are now no longer required to disclose that kind of information to parents. I think it's absolutely abhorrent, disgusting. As a parent, if someone kept that kind of information from me, and I don't know if you can tell, but I am shaking right now because I am furious that you would sit there and think that it's okay to hide that kind of information from a parent, a minor child. Because I'll tell you what, that is absolutely important to me. And if I ever find out that my child is going through these issues and I wasn't notified, I will go after every single person's medical license that had anything to do with my child because I will, I will do anything to keep my children safe. So I think it's absolutely disgusting. Thank you. Thank you for your opinion. Thank you for your opinion. Just like you are an advocate for your child, I am an advocate for your child. And so when they come in and they disclose that information, sometimes I'm the first person that they have told. And that has happened here in Bahrain. I'm the first person that they've given that information. And so that we have a discussion, I have that rapport with them. If they are open enough to tell me that information, then we talk about, hey, I really think you should talk to your parents. I really think they would be able to help you. And, but then there are parents that don't want to hear it. They're very close-minded, and they don't want to hear it. And that's why they keep those secrets. And that's why we have teenage suicides. So you're saying that you're the, the minor child someone who can't consent to anything, who's not a legal adult, you're saying that minor child, they have, and the medical, quote unquote medical professional has more rights than the parent over that child. That's what, that's the, that's the Navy's policy. I would encourage you to talk to your child. 
That's not what I asked you, ma'am. I'm asking you, according to this policy. Again, policy. I didn't make it. I, I'm not. I'm not accusing you, ma'am. I'm. I'm simply calling out the Navy that the policy gives more rights or, or circumvents a parent's rights to know. Is what you're saying? That's the Navy's official policy. Yes. All right. Any other questions? That's the military. That's happening on military bases. You know what's happening in your town. And that's what they've done. They've normalized it and then they shoved it into their little science project, which is the U.S. military, and are now forcing it on military families. And of course, if you're a military family and you fight back and say, hey, this is bullshit, I don't want my kid wokeified, well, then you're fucked because now you're uh, going to EO. The next one is is pretty, pretty, pretty fucked up, man. It, it's just, it's fucked up. I don't even know how to frame it. Um, plastic surgeon Dr. Sada Gallagher is promoting the unique gender identity, citing the guideline of what path. So basically what this means is they, these fruit loops Fruit roll-up motherfuckers. Um, they don't want to chop shit. They don't want to go all in. They want to go half-ass. So they're getting their faces demasculined. And this is going against my theory, I guess. Or not going against it, because I whatever, you're an adult, you can do it. But be the unicorn. So now they want to look like fucking unicorns. A group of gender diverse individuals who haven't been very visible are eunuchs and there is an entire chapter devoted to these folks in the most recent version of the WPATH standards of care at WPATH is the World Professional Association of Transgender Health. And so basically a eunuch is somebody who's assigned male at birth but may not be comfortable with the masculine features and may also benefit from gender affirmation care which could mean orchiectomy in some patients. Now we have to be very careful because we know that if we just take away sex hormones completely, patients can have problems with osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease. So usually the patient will supplement on either low-dose testosterone or low-dose estrogen, and it requires specialized care. But sometimes this is an important part of gender affirmation surgery for this uh, group of patients. It's depravity, man. It's all about depravity now. It's crazy. The next two are HB 2002A, Oregon Dems are pushing through. The bill expands abortion access to minors of any age. And this person is asked as low as 10. Then in Florida, House passes bill enacting death penalty for child rape. And the bill sponsor Representative Jessica Baker in a closing and she's talking about it. And I put these back to back because... This is the difference between normal and moon bat no morals. Ten-year-olds getting abortions without talking to parents. In the same state, you can rape a motherfucker. You're back on the street the same day. And a state going, enough.
There is no earthly redemption for somebody who rapes a small child. Only God can save them. And in Florida, we should be eager to arrange that meeting. Members, I ask for your support, and with that, I close. Under the current law, uh, it's not entirely clear uh, what age a minor can make the determination to have an abortion without parental consent. Under um, House Bill 2002A, however, it's a minor of any age can make that determination. Uh, so follow up, so a 10-year-old can make that decision on their own then? No. Chair Sanchez, Senator Steiner, yes. Uh, and you, no. No. 10-year-old? I didn't think so for that. I thought it was rude. Okay. I'm looking it up. The worst part about all of this is this is our media upset they caved. Bud Light caves to mob that was shooting at a running over it produ uh, its product for giving a one-minute sponsored Instagram post to a trans person. Pressuring companies with social media mobs is our job, people say. And it's true. But he's gay, and that's his whole fucking modus operatus. It's all he cares about, gays, it, gay issues. I mean, none of these people are serious fucking people, all right? They're just not serious fucking people. Hey, what is this? Pronouns. I forgot this one. Pronouns. Don't describe them as chosen. We're not, see, we're tweaking it. We're getting, you're a bigot if you don't use it. You're a loser if you don't know all 5,000. Oh, you're saying they choose the pro, that is not the way to say it. And then you get into the numbers of who really thinks drag shows are fucking shit for kids, and you break it down, and it's, no. Who should be allowed to attend drag shows? People who haven't been to drag show, you get in here, the kids, Democrats. 39% of Democrats think kids should be able to go to it. That says everything you need to know about Democrats. They have no fucking morals. None. And they want to push this shit because in their mind, if they push this, they can just twist people to be their little fucking wokesters and then they do the same thing like this too many white males so how do you take any of these people serious how do you look at these people and go oh i need to literally think about it and the worst part and the part that i don't get cannot grasp who the fuck votes for these people in oregon who is voting for that 10-year-old abortions. Get the fuck out of here. So, time for a lighter flare. Short ditty from Black Rider Rifle Coffee and Matt Best. And if CNN existed 2,000 years ago. What, what's the one rule? Don't talk to me before my coffee. But seriously, don't talk to me before my coffee.
Welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm your host, Dr. Mack. In today's news, Jesus of Nazareth has reportedly risen from the dead, overturning the results of the free and fair election which called for his death. Many are labeling this an act of election interference. Here with us, we have a high priest of the temple and a Roman centurion. Ah, uh, yes. You see, the crowd has clearly chosen to free Barabbas in what was the most safe and free election in history. The people have spoken, and this whole ordeal is a threat to democracy. That's absolutely right. This challenges our right to have mostly peaceful crucifixions. We need to call this what it is. A violent insurrection. Violent? Oh, yes. I had my ear cut off in Gethsemane by one of these resurrectionists. Why do you still have it, then? That's not important. What is important is that this unsanctioned resurrection was in defiance of the experts. I'm a high priest, okay? If anyone knows who the Messiah is, it's us. People need to trust the Messiahs. Powerful words. Joining us now is Pontius Pilate, who was anti-crucifixion, but respected democracy. Pontius, why aren't more people on your side of the aisle respecting free and fair election outcomes? Come on, man. This guy's really out of line with his resurrection. I mean, I'm personally against crucifixion, but politically, I respect the right of the crowd to choose, man. Wise words. You know what else? For someone who claims to preach tolerance and understanding, defying voters by resurrecting from the dead seems a little hypocritical, no? Seriously, this Christ guy sure doesn't seem to act very Christ-like. He's really on the wrong side of history, man. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. After the break, experts are saying barbarian phobia could spell the- To our This Is America. The hypocrisy of the media just cracks me the fuck up. And they do it with token blacks on their networks. You know, Capehart, all these people are token blacks. There's not a lot of black people on CNN and MSNBC. They're just not. And the assaults on Tim Scott lead are This Is America today. This is America. Let's talk about him. Our NBC News colleague Ali Vitale had a remarkable exchange today on abortion access with Republican Senator Tim Scott, who's considering running for president. It's, it's worth seeing a good bit of this. Let's watch. I'm proudly 100% pro-life. I am so thankful that I had an opportunity to vote for the three Supreme Court justices that overturned Roe v. Wade. I, I celebrate that. So I, every time a state courts adopts a decision, states have the ability to have the most conservative uh, bills that they can get passed in their legislature. I support the culture of life, without question. But is six weeks the right mile marker? Well, the people have decided that their elected leaders have the opportunity to do so. So I, I say absolutely, as the, as the culture of life is being protected, 
we should celebrate that. States will have different varying views on that. But yes, if I were president of the United States, I would literally sign the most conservative pro-life legislation that they can get through Congress. How do you square then the idea from Dobbs, the idea from there was to kick it back to the states and allow them to either pass the most conservative or to allow abortion to remain legal. How do you square the states' rights issue with the potential for a national ban that would set a federal mile marker? Well, no one's talking about a national ban, number one. Number two, I would simply say that there's so no doubt. So you're putting back so any kind of national ban? We're, we're, we're doing, I'm not going to do a bunch of hypotheticals, but what I am going to say is that the fact is that Dobbs sent the decision to the states. 100% agree with that. <laughs> Brittany, talking loud and saying nothing. Senator Scott celebrates the overturning of Roe and then refuses to say no when asked if he'd sign a national abortion ban. Well, you know, I'm going to state a perhaps um, unpopular opinion. I'm actually really glad to hear Tim Scott so fervently say that he believes in the culture of life. Because I'm looking forward to his support for an assault weapons ban. I'm really looking forward um, to him finally getting out of the way of ending qualified immunity for police officers who kill people. If he is so committed to the culture of life, then there are plenty of ways to actually display that. One of those ways is not supporting a, a ban on abortion, whether at six weeks, whether nationally, or whether it is the overturning of Roe versus way because the truth of the matter is this has not ever been a pro-life movement. This has been a movement about ensuring that certain people do not have autonomy over our bodies. So we should be clear to bust these myths. Like you said before, 64% of Americans are in support of access to abortion. This pill, Mifepristone, is 99% is effective. It is safer than Viagra, despite what some of these doctors who brought mm -hmm. this suit forward have to say. And despite what he or others might think bodily autonomy is actually not up for debate. So I'm actually glad to hear that he is in support of the culture of life. Jump into the 2024 race, but it highlights the fine line he'll try to walk to win the nomination. Joining me now, Tara Setmeyer, senior advisor for the Lincoln Project and former Republican communications director. Tara, uh, thank you very much for being here. You know, I find Senator Scott fascinating, a black Republican who isn't too shy in talking about race, but whose views on race can be problematic both within the GOP and in the general public. So, I mean, am I giving him too much credit? Listen, uh, Tim Scott, bless his heart, is trying to make a name for himself now, taking advantage of the fact that Republicans every election cycle need a racial pacifier. He's their racial security blanket in the race, given all of the context of what's gone on racially with uh, Trump and Republicans over the last few years. And even after the 2012 election cycle, when Republicans did that autopsy and found that they've got to diversify the tent if they want to survive as a party. Well, instead, they went in the complete opposite direction. But the one constant has been good old Senator Tim Scott, the lone black Republican in the Senate. I, I, listen, I, I respect Senator Scott's biography. His life story is great. It's the American dream and good for him. What I don't respect is the fact that with that American story, with his experience, with even as a conservative, I'm still a conservative, I'm just not a Republican, mm -hmm. that he would still, still support Donald Trump. Last summer, he went out of his way during the January 6th hearings when he was asked about January 6th. Remember, he voted to acquit John Donald Trump's uh, impeachment after January 6th. He said, oh, yeah, I haven't been watching the hearings. And if Trump's the nominee, of course, we'll support him. 
That I have no respect for, none whatsoever. I have no respect for someone that cannot take a firm position on where he stands on our democracy, on Donald Trump's existential threat to it, and the fact that the Republican Party has been abysmal on several issues that, that are important to our country today. He will not take a position. I mean, the 1990s called and they want their campaign video back. There's nothing <laughs> extraordinary about what Tim Scott is doing. I mean, he's a big snooze and he has no chance. None. Then to my soapbox. First and foremost, we are sitting weeks later after a trans killer went into school and killed Christians. They wouldn't even talk about the Christians. The vice president wouldn't come visit the Christians. The, the fucking POTUS wouldn't talk about the Christians. The media wouldn't talk about the Christians. So much so that I went out and got a Christian symbol just to wear in public. And I'm not even a really good Christian. I'm just a believer. I pray, I talk to God, but I don't go to church. And they still don't have a motive. What does that say? What does that say? You don't have a motive. But it is what we're seeing with all crime in our country. And you've seen all the other ones with our New York crime thing. And yeah, it's staged. It's going against Bragg. Sure. Why not? Left does it all the time. We drug out January 6th for three fucking years, you cocksuckers. But the way the left treated people who lost their loved ones, I mean, this this is po pure political gutter that says everything about the Democratic Party. Democrats called today's hearing orchestrated by Republican Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan a sham meant to embarrass and intimidate D.A. Bragg because he's prosecuting former President Trump. The Republican witnesses who have used their time to criticize District Attorney Bragg have served as props in a MAGA Broadway production. The real purpose in coming to New York City. A fiery hearing at times. Today, Chairman Jordan asked a federal judge to essentially dismiss a lawsuit filed by D.A. Bragg. Bragg wants to block Jordan from being able to subpoena witnesses in a congressional investigation into Bragg's criminal indictment of former President Trump. Court arguments in that case begin on Wednesday. Brett. Today in New York City, Congressman Jim Jordan brought the hearing to him, and it got pretty heated. Watch. We are here today in Lower Manhattan for one reason and one reason only. The chairman is doing the bidding of Donald Trump. Committee Republicans designed this hearing. Let me gentlemen, tell you this. Gentlemen, gentlemen. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I'm fully aware of what's going on here. That's why I walked away from the plantation of the Democratic Party. And ma'am, you ain't the only one that's actually left the uh, plantation. It's happening all over the country. <laughs> So Nadler accuses Jordan of doing the bidding of Donald Trump. 
Well, Alvin Bragg is actually doing the bidding of the Democrat Party. Jordan may have held a hearing in New York because Bragg won't cooperate in the committee's investigation. But more importantly, to highlight... Fucking scumbags. Just scumbags. Just scumbags. Do you know what would happen if Republicans went to a hearing about the deaths of anything and they smeared the witnesses? Do you know what Chuck Todd, his ugly fucking little shitty ass bearded mouth would go? The norms and decorums. Get the fuck out of here, man. That's just a bridge too far. But when your whole platform is made up, you're making faux outrages and your sole platform for 2024, the sole platform for Biden and every Democrat running is killing babies and transing kids. You've already sold your soul. So you are a scumbag. I mean, that's just what you are. And you do things like that. And once again, not Republican, not GOP. Don't vote to see who goes for president. I just vote for the election. That's it. These fucking douchebags are going to keep getting elected because they gerrymander districts for Nadler. Nadler can't even walk. How in the name of Zeus's ass crack is he still in office? Schiff spent four years, private pile, saying he had the goods on Trump that he never had. Ever. Once again, our country's going to hell in a handbasket because we have dumbass voters that vote for single causes. And the single cause is abortion or trans. Or they believe the lies that if you let the GOP be in charge, they're going to take away your right to abortion. No, they're not. In the states that they own, yeah. You're going to have to use birth control. Sorry about that. I know it's tough. It's just hard to fucking swallow. That's some fucked up shit. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. We're going to go with our next show on the 22nd. I will not be strapped to a machine and be a little more animated. Um, So, Saturday, 22 April, Year of Our Lord, 20. 23. Until then, go to SoundCloud, Flyover Politic with a K, Rumble 482467. Email me at at gmail.com. As always, thank you all for listening and take care. <laughs>